Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Word is a proud media partner of Latitude Festival 2012. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. We're joined in the pod by Chaz Hodges. It's a delight to have you here. We'll supply the applause. It's a joy to be here. Um, He's got a very busy Jubilee weekend coming up with loads and loads of gigs. Might be playing in your local marketplace or your local pub. Uh, Yeah, I'm in Romford Market, I think, uh, Sunday. And uh, there's so many, I I don't know. I know I'm in... um, It kicks off the Half Moon on Friday, tomorrow. Um, Half Moon Putney. And then on from there, right, until Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah. I'm it's a, it's a mini royal tour. But, of course. OK. Well, look, Chaz, it's delightful to have you here. Yes, And nice what to I propose to do is to go right back to the beginning. Far and come away. your immensely illustrious and varied career and come right up to date. OK. All right, and where, The away. way we normally start on a world podcast is we ask, what music was in your house when you were growing up? Can you remember? Most definitely, it was uh, my mum playing the piano. Uh, she she brought us. Me, me dad died when uh, I was three. Uh, we lived in Kent, and uh, we came back to London, and uh, not very well off uh, to to live with me uh, grandparents. And uh, me and mum virtually brought us up playing the piano, but it was just. Uh, that's why piano uh, and music is a big part of my life. Uh, and not only did it help to feed us as we were growing up, it was always when when the, uh, anybody came round, they always had big smiles on their faces when the music was being played. So it. Uh, so, so was she a professional piano player? Where did she no, play? No, she learned to play when when she was a kid. I mean, actually, I found all this out after. Uh, she used to go out busking with my great grandfather when she was about five. Six, so they'd pull up outside a pub somewhere and uh, had a little harmonium, and which we still had at the time, which my nan gave to the rag man, which I never forgave before, but that's <laughs> another story. This little portable harmonium, and um, that's, that was the start of her, her musical career. So we're talking about in the 
twenties and thirties. Yeah, I would say well, she was born in nineteen thirteen, so if she was five, it was about nineteen twenty. Yeah, oh, you're really? dead right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So then you come back. Was this during the war as a child? Um, we moved to Kent uh, in nineteen forty-seven. Uh, my dad uh, he committed suicide. We never know know why. Uh, the day before my fourth birthday, then we came back to North London, as I said, to live with me nan and granddad and my great grandfather. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty uh, not a lot of money about, but uh, it was happy, a happy child. So this I mean, is Edmonton, Tottenham, yeah, round there, yeah, right North London, right. Edmonton, yeah. So there was no record player in the house. No, we had uh, uh, a wind-up gramophone a bit later on. Um, but in the very early days, there was no record player. No, I had the old radio, and a lot of those uh, used to have, you know, Housewives' Choice on, and uh, used to hear things like Fats Waller and uh, or, or who would my mum's favourite piano player. That's when I first heard of him. But no, there was no uh, record player. It was just a piano and a harmonium. Or if a party was going, me, me great grandfather used to play the penny whistle. Me nan played the mouth organ. So there's plenty of music going on in there. <laughs> Sounds like house. a Giles cartoon. Yeah, yeah you said right, yeah. <laughs> so what was the first time that you played an instrument? What, what did you first pick up? First time um, I ever played... Uh, well, my mum always wanted... I remember her saying, I'll, I'll start at the beginning, she she used to play down the, the pub at the uh, on the Edmonton Green and um, she dearly wanted there to be a musician in the family. My older brother wasn't interested at all. He was into football and fishing, and and so was I. I remember my mum coming home one uh, Saturday afternoon, she'd been playing up the pub, and uh, she said, oh, there's uh, a, a piano teacher, and he was quite a well-known piano teacher around North London, who was a fan of hers. He used to go in the pub and, and, and watch her. And he said, have you got any... He knew she, she, she you know, she didn't have a husband. Uh, he said, have you got any kids? He said, yeah. He said, if you've got any kids, he said, I'll teach them piano for nothing. And I remember her coming home excited, and I still feel slightly well, disappointed about my my reaction to this day. <laughs> she said, if someone's come in and wants to... Uh, he's, he's a great piano teacher, and he said, if I've got any children, he'll teach them for nothing. He said, how about, why don't you go... And I said, I don't want to learn the piano. <laughs> I was in, just interested. I, at the time, I was like, playing football out in the street, going fishing and anything else but playing the piano. But um, not long after... Um, I mean, I remember her saying to me, Nan, oh, well, there's not going to be a musician in the family. And I, I still remember her saying, so it must have stuck there. I can hear her voice now. But not long after, uh, in the early, in the mid-50s, I remember hearing a record, uh, and this sound, what I thought was fantastic, turned out to be Lonnie Donegan. Found out he played the guitar. This, uh... I'll play the song that I heard it. Why don't you bring a little more, Sylvie? I want to bring a little more now. I want to bring a little more to Sue and Lord every little once in a while. Do you love me, Sue? Do you love me now? Do you love me, Sue and Lord every little once in a while? I want to bring a little more to Sue. I want to bring a little more now. I want to bring a little more to Sue and Lord every little once in a while. I want to bring a little more to Sue every little once in a while. Fantastic. Of course, hugely influential, Lonnie Donegan. Yeah. Uh, the whole generation of British musicians. Really unusual sound, wasn't it? Because he was a you know, British guy doing yeah. 
black American blues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we it, we uh, never heard it before. It's brand new to every every uh, budding young musician in in England. Uh, all these uh, 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 all, all these black blues blokes we'd never heard of. No, but uh, you, so the, Lonnie it, brought them. It to was us. filtered through Lonnie, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So did that make you keen on having uh, playing a guitar? Most definitely. I mean, that sound. I must remember that. Well, that's a great sound. And uh, I said to me, Mum, have you heard that record, Lonnie Donegan? And she got excited. She said, what? She, it, I said, this guitar is fantastic. She said, if I've got hold of a guitar somewhere, would you learn to play? I went, yeah. Anyway, um, my uncle Alf, uh, who lived in Acne, um, he had an old guitar that they had in the family years ago. Cut a long story short, he done it up, and uh, I went over there and got it and got the guitar. Little old, still got it actually. Little old Spanish guitar, and um, I started because yeah, I didn't didn't know anybody who played guitar. Well, this is, they were, this is the thing that people don't realise. They were so rare, weren't yeah, they, in those yeah. days? They were, I heard Tommy Steele on the radio not long ago saying the only time you ever saw a guitar was played by a cowboy in a film. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Not I mean, by a musician. Yeah. <laughs> ne- never, never see one. In, in real life, like exactly what you said, you see him on films and might see him on the telly now and again. Uh, but yeah, I'd got this guitar and had no idea how to tune it. And my mum tuned it to to a straight chord, which I mean, it's not tuned to a chord; right. it's tuned to, to whatever it is. But she tuned it to a, a straight chord, so you just played just the barred it, and it yeah, bar it over, yeah. It, and um, it sounded all right, and she was going... Uh, but so I remember this, then watching Lonnie on the telly and watching his fingers doing that and that and that and that. Uh, and I thought, those shapes he's doing, that, that Doesn't not, make any sense. Don't make sense at all. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that over the road... I mean, skiffle groups were just about beginning to, to happen, and there was a, a bloke over the road who was about four or five years older than me, that started a skiffle group. And uh, my mum said, look, he said, he comes home from work about half past five, so wait, at, wait for him to come home and take the guitar and get him to tune it up. And exactly that I did that. I waited for him, see him come down the road, took it over to him, and I said, would you mind tuning my guitar for me? And, and of course he tuned it up. Properly. Like that, and he played a couple of chords. I remember he played an E chord, and I, I thought, that sounds great. Took it back to me mum, and she she went like that. She, that don't sound very. Good. I said, <laughs> he well, spoiled it. Yeah, I said that 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 is the proper tune, and that's what he's done. So then, um, I think I've got a, um, a book. No, he showed me a couple of chords, right? So I'd got a start, you know. And um, then I got a hold of a little banjo that I got from a jumble sound, and I started getting pretty good on it. Although my mum said, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great. I thought, that's just my mum. Anyway, the weren't long after, around the sweet shop, they used to put little signs in the window, you know, whatever, something for sale. There was a sign in the window around the sweet shop. She came back, she said, they want a guitar player in that skiffle group. Why don't you go for the audition? And I thought, how can I go for an audition in the skiffle group? How old are you then? I was 13. Right, OK. I ain't good enough, you know. I might be good enough to strum along with a couple of records, but... She said, you go. She said, you are good enough. You go. Anyway, I, uh, cut a long story short, I went. And they were, oh, they, they was over the moon with my playing. 
and I just floated back. Because you were better than they yeah, were, probably. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so their line-up, it's classic skiffle group, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, T-chest, yeah. T-chest, T-chest bass, yeah. washboard, yep. yeah, with their thimbles yeah. on the <laughs> yeah. to make the sound on the washboard. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, grief. Yeah. What were they called? The band uh, was called the Horseshoe Skiffle Group. Okay. They always had to have that kind of Western type. Yeah, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you played local gigs in Edmonds and Tottenham. Yeah, the first. Uh, I remember the, one of the first gigs I did was um, in a hole over the top of a pub in Edmonton <clears throat> called the Britannia, <clears throat> and I had the most fantastic night of my life. People dancing and clapping and cheering, and me strumming all these uh, the skiffle songs. And at the end, someone come up and plonked a ten bob note in my hand. And I went, what's that for? They said, oh, it's for tonight's, you know, your Ten shillings. Show. Yeah. It's and a lot of I money. just, it was then. <laughs> and I thought, I could not, I really couldn't believe it that I could have the best night I've ever had in my whole life. And then someone paid me for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was my ambition from that day. I thought, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Well, you've achieved that, and I'm you? still doing okay. it now. Yeah. So let's let's move. It. So we're getting into into the sixties now, and the sort of skiffles becoming the beat groups. And yeah, yeah. At what point did you kind of plug in? Um, I joined a. Uh, with, there used to be this uh, meeting place every Friday night uh, called the King's Head. It was a great, different bands uh, and electric guitars were, were becoming evident, little amplifiers and all that. We were all experimenting because there wasn't a lot of good gear about in those days. And um, I used to borrow an electric guitar. It's taking the acoustic down, but this, this one of the blokes had, uh, one of the kids had two, two electric guitars. I used to borrow one. And someone that had the idea of, of this was, we'd heard about electric basses, but. You hadn't, never seen one. Hadn't seen them yet, no. <laughs> um, he said, why don't you try tuning your, your bass strings down? Anyway, I started tuning the bass strings. It sounded quite good. And uh, then it wasn't long after, I see an advert for a bass guitar in, in uh, I think it was the Revalley newspaper. <laughs> they used to come out. Do you remember that? Revalley, it was yeah, kind yeah. of glamour girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheering yeah. stories about the forces. That's it. Yeah, go on. Right. <laughs> uh, Not think, that I'm that old, frankly, <laughs> They could they, uh, buy a bass guitar. So I remember it was Bell Accordion, Surbiton, Surrey. And uh, 40, 40 guineas. Guineas? A, yeah. 40 that's, guineas, yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, 40 guineas was like, anybody who don't know, it's like 40 pounds plus 40 shillings. shillings. Yeah, so 42 quid. Yeah. Um, got it on the knot. I remember me granddad signed as... Got it on the knot means yeah. higher purchase. Yeah. Because the only way you could get a thing like yeah. that in those days. And I uh, got this. Um, funny enough, I got when the day the the bass arrived, since nineteen fifty nine. My mate was in in the skiffle group, played electric guitar. I've just got a postcard from him today. Actually, this Brilliant. very day, he lives in Italy now. He's coming over. And anyway, he said, oh, "I was there when you got that bass. I've still got it. Still use it actually. But uh, yeah, I got the bass." And I had a little amp used to play indoors, right, and just play along with records, and it used to sound great. And it really was... I just put a record on, I mean, and they started buying a few Elvis records and a few Jerry Lee records, and I plugged the bass in, and it used to sound fantastic, you know, alongside the... You used to get crowds of kids standing outside my front door listening to it, you know. <laughs> and um, finally came the time we're going to do a gig. Took me little amp up to the King's Head, and it was quite a, a biggish hall in those days. Plugged it in, 
And it just sounded horrible. It just didn't. I didn't really. I thought it was going to sound like it did in my front room. It didn't, it didn't fill no. the room. Didn't fill the bigger space. No, definitely not. <laughs> and um, I ended up buying. Uh, there was. Uh, I remember seeing Cliff Richard and the Shadows in Walthamstow, Granada, and Jet Harris had this great big bass amp that uh, Wallace in Soho Street made for him. And uh, he sold it on someone else, and uh, it was uh, uh, the, the Hunters, Dave Sampson and the Hunters. And then I found out it was for sale, this amp that I'd seen, and I went and bought it. it was a, I mean, it took like three people to carry it, it really <laughs> did. But it didn't half have a sound to it, it really and that became, uh, that, that became the amp. And uh, right. I was a fully-fledged bass player. Uh, the band was formed called the Stormers. Uh, we went to Butlins for in 1960. You went to Butlins and Filey. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was absolutely fantastic. So was it like you know Ringo in That'll Be the Day? You know we've all seen bands in you know in playing Butlins in the late yeah. 50s, early 60s. Yeah, all it, the girls you could possibly. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it was wish great. to be friendly with. It was. It was. <laughs> absolute heaven it was like i just couldn't believe it and on everything i do i still do now you think it's going to carry on for the rest of your life i mean i was there for three months and uh we was getting 20 quid a week each in 1960 which is it's a lot of money blooming good money yeah <laughs> and uh you know different girlfriend every week you, you all cried when that one went home and then got to meet the coach <laughs> when the new one came, turned up <laughs> So it's like being a red coat, but with additional glamour. Really, yeah, I mean, in a rock and roll band, just, just playing, playing, playing the, the, the guitar. I mean, what, what more could you wish for? Right. Uh, so you were starting to get into the professional. Well, that was professional. Yeah. So w- when did you first start making records? When we came back, uh, a couple of the boys uh, got hooked up with girls, and one of them got married, and the other one decided to get married, and the, the band began to sort of like fall apart. The odd gig here and there, uh, I was really fed up. Uh, I got a job and then didn't like that very much. And uh, it didn't seem long after. I think it was about the September or the October, so a couple of months after we got back from Butlins and the band was, like, crumbling. Virtually had split up. I got a knock on my front door. And it was this chap who had come down to see us at Butlins with a singer called Danny Rivers, who we'd done a couple of demo tapes with. And he said, look, he said, um, I've got a singer. He said, I don't know if you've heard of Joe Meek, which I didn't. He said, he's an independent record producer. He said, up at Holloway Road. And I said, I've got this singer, Mike Berry, who he loves, but he don't like his band very much. He said, if I could get your band back together, would you come up and audition for Mike Berry's backing band? I went, yeah, you know, I'd, uh, I'll be there. So... He got the rest of the band together and we went up and auditioned at Joe Meeks and uh, he absolutely loved it. This was about the beginning of 1961. So he hadn't already, he hadn't had Telstar, he wasn't... No. He hadn't had the huge hits yet. No, he was starting to. Yeah, he'd had uh, uh, Angela Jones, Mike, uh, Michael Cox, that was a hit. Yeah, one or two semi, you know, sort of just just about reached. So you were the getting in there at the at the early part of yeah, you know yeah. that now that whole Joe Meek Holloway Road studio thing has been mythologised and films made about it. You were in the film, yeah, you? yeah, yeah. You know, tell us what was it like? It really was like the film. I mean, Nick Moran, who who produced and and directed it. I mean, he, he had a meeting with me 
uh, people pointing because I was up there from 1961 till about 65. Uh, we were uh, Joe's uh, house band, in the, house the band. Outlaws. So who else would be in that group? Uh, no, right. So th- this Ori- was the Outlaws, right? Yeah. Original. Originally, there was uh, me on the bass guitar, uh, Reggie Hawkins rhythm guitar, Billy Kylie guitar, Bobby Graham drums. Who became the massive session man in the sixties? Bobby he was on everything. Um, great drummer. So that was the original Outlaws. Then they sort of, um, then the guitar player left, or he got the sack. Can't remember now. And we got in Richie Blackmore, <laughs> who was with Screaming Lord <coughs> Such at the time. Uh, we'd seen him, and we started earning a few bob. So we we, we nicked Richie off of uh, of Such. And uh, he became part of the, the house band. Uh, we recorded uh, things like uh, Just Like Eddie with Hines, was, uh, Richie was playing on that. But before that, we, um, the first, uh, one of my first recordings was uh, Johnny Remember Me. Uh, John, John Layton, Layton right? Yeah. Uh, that was, I think it was 61, I think that was. Might have been 62. Uh, but that was number one. Uh, well, I was 16 then. Uh, so you just got session money, presumably. Yeah, a few quid for doing the session. That it's was your lot. Seven pounds, something. Seven pounds, which I thought was fantastic. That suited me down to the ground. Right, you know. right, right. I mean, and, pe- pe- and you pe- learned very quickly, presumably, course, as yeah. a session man. You've got to pick it up really quick. Yeah, yeah. I've always been. Uh, I was pretty quick at picking up stuff. I mean, um, so I could hear from from music that I inherited from. Yeah my mum and my nan and my great-grandfather. So, yeah, sessions were great. I mean, I used to, they, they used to come in. Joe Meek used to be like... Uh, they used to sort of roll them in, say, to this next... Usually, like, if, if they got a pretty face, uh, they couldn't sing, you know. So if someone had come in a bit ugly, you think, oh, great, he's got a good singer. <laughs> and I, I was right every time. Uh, You've been listening to the free feed of The Word podcast. The full album-length version is only available to subscribers to the magazine. To sign up and to hear the rest of this podcast, go to www.wordpodcast.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.